1: Welcome back to the show. Today we have Alex Qualici. He's the CEO at UMail. Alex, welcome to the show.
2: Uh, thank you for having me on the show. I'm excited to be here.
1: Yeah, I'm. I'm actually really excited to have you on the show. I've actually been using your app for the last little while, and and I'm really, really enjoying it. But maybe before we get into UMail, let's get to know you a little bit better and start off with where you grew up.
2: So I'm a California kid. I grew up in the, the Bay Area Very near cool. San Francisco, out in the suburbs.
1: Very cool. So you went to university. What did you take and why?
2: Well, it's it's interesting. So I went to Berkeley uh, for undergrad and then UCLA for grad school. I I, be, I was a computer scientist, so I okay. took uh, computer science classes at Berkeley. And then I, I just loved it. And then I went to UCLA and got a Ph.D. in AI. Cool. uh in the early days of ai actually uh doing natural language processing trying to understand the meaning of sentences and and how people organize their thoughts to form arguments so i'm a, i'm actually a, a techie
1: <laughs> no that's awesome was there a defining moment or or a handful of things that you remember growing up that got you passionate about computers or how did you get into that
2: you know, my dad was always writing software as a as an engineer, right? Okay, and I sure. thought that was kind of cool. But what really got me into it is I was going to be pre med, right? Okay. Like you know, half half the people who entered college. And one of the requirements was a computer programming class. Okay. And I went into that class, and I would do the assignments, and it would take me fifteen minutes or an hour. It would take everybody else in the class was taking like you know a week. Okay. Wow. <laughs> and I was like. Wow, this this is for me. This is easy. It's fun. I like it. And that was just no more no more, you know, dreams of being a doctor for me.
1: <laughs> Very cool. So, walk me through your career up until you mail. So, it's it's actually pretty simple. After I I graduated UCLA with my PhD,
2: I became a professor Okay. And I had some choices, but Hawaii beckoned for me. So I became a professor in Hawaii for a while.
1: That's awesome. And
2: uh, and I know if you're going to get tenure somewhere, you're going to have to struggle. <laughs> it might as, it might, as, might as well be where the weather's great, right? <laughs> um, yep. But while I was doing it, I got a really smart postdoc who came to work with me. And we were always writing down these ideas of, hey, you know, we should do this or we should do that. And we never did them. For about okay. a year. And we saw all these companies form to do those ideas that became really big. Sure. So we agreed at one point that the next idea we got, we were going to go do. Okay. And so we, we got the idea of it's essentially a Siri over a 1-800 number. This is in the late 90s. And the idea was that you could just use your voice while you were in a store, for example, and say, how much is this specialized mountain bike, you know, X, Y, Z, and decide whether or not uh, the price in the store was better than the price that we'd go dig up on Amazon or Walmart or wherever else for you. So kind of like early price comparison that then expanded into, well, I should get my email, I should get my weather, I should get everything
3: else. So
2: we, we put that together. We put a prototype together. We raised money. We ended up building a company. And about a year and a half later, we sold it to AOL. And we became the platform for a whole bunch of AOL voice services. So hardly anybody knows this, but AOL was probably one of the first companies to really be big in VoIP. I mean, one of the services we did in the early 2000s was you could be dialed in on AOL. And if a call came in, it would pop up on your screen and you could answer it or if you were busy it could go to go to voicemail and we would then deliver it to you by email. I mean nowadays that's you know not as impressive but 15 years ago people were like wow. Yeah, you were very very early on then. We we were and and uh it's interesting cuz my partner now runs Google Canada so he's, oh, very cool. he's actually He's actually a Waterloo person, and sure. and so he went off in that direction. And I, I wanted to find interesting startups to help after I left AOL. Okay. And Umail was just getting going then. Uh, they had this idea of uh, trying to improve voicemail because they, they thought it sucked, sure. <laughs> basically. And I, so I invested in the company. It's a long story, but I soon wound up running it and you know somehow got to where we are today.
1: Okay, so let's dive a little bit deeper so it wasn't originally your idea, or 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 how did UMail come to be?
2: So so UMail came to be as uh, a couple guys' idea as a spinoff of a call center company, actually. Okay. To provide better voicemail in two ways. One is all the voicemail would be in the cloud, so you, you could pick up your mobile voicemail on your computer, et cetera. And that was really early. That was two thousand and seven. So they were you know, kind of ahead of their time. I think only Google voice was starting up then
3: right? Yeah, and, and it
2: was called grand central.
3: Yeah, and the that. other
2: idea was you could, you could personalize your greeting. So mom would get one greeting and your wife or girlfriend would get another greeting and, you know, uh, people you didn't like would get a third greeting. And so they had these <laughs> two features and I thought, you know, that's not really enough to build a company, but let's see where they go. Okay. And so I invested some money and, and they asked me to join the board and, and soon after, uh, it's kind of a long story, but I wound up running the company and I went and raised a bunch of venture capital money okay. uh, to try to, a, additional angel and venture capital money, to try to see if we could sell it to carriers. Okay, And so we spent two and a half, maybe three years working to sell to carriers. And we got some carriers, especially regional ones, smaller carriers to agree that, hey, email is way better than what we have. Let's put it on, on our service and Get get subscribers, but not enough to make a real business out of it. And the big guys, you know, they they move really slow, like carriers do. Sure. So this is 2010ish. We said, "Wow, this is going nowhere with the carriers. We're not going to make any money here." But we went and looked, and we built this BlackBerry app, kind of as a, just a prototype of what we could do. Okay. It had visual voicemail, had transcription, had a whole bunch of other cool features. And we had a million users on it wow. <laughs> without paying any attention to it at all. And wow. we're like, hmm, wait, maybe we should just let's, re, let's redo the company and let's become a consumer company to try to get better voicemail services out there across a wide range of consumers. And, and we thought our service was much better than the iPhone, where the iPhone had and others. So, so we, we basically redid the company, we raised some more money and went in that direction. And so we started scaling the company, you know, fairly steadily. Nice. It wasn't a, a massive grower, but it, it kept growing and growing. And then, in about 2015, we recognized something really interesting. Or late 2014. Okay. Email had an interesting feature where you could play an out of service message to a phone number. You know, then this number you've reached is out of service. Sure. The idea behind the feature was. You know, the hookup gone bad where someone's got your number and you just want them to go away, right? Sure. Or the the sales guy who's harassing you. So that's how we anticipated it would be used. Well, we started looking at the data and the data showed that people were putting in 1-800 numbers or a whole bunch of different people, like hundreds of email users, would put in another number, right? Like a specific uh... other number. And we looked at that and said, you know what? Our users are blocking robocalls with it. <laughs> Interesting.
3: And you know, we'd seen
2: we'd seen people, you know, we kind of had an inkling um that there was something going on with robocalls because we'd seen, you know, some other companies start up in the space to try to block them. But we realized our users are so desperate to block robocalls, they'll put in phone numbers one at a time with a fairly clunky UI to be able to to block them, right? Sure. Let's out a service message. So we said, hmm. Can we do this automatically? And, you know, with my background in AI and some of the other folks here, we realized we could. And so we very quickly built an automated engine
3: cool. to
2: start recognizing the bad guys because we had a lot of users and we could see which ones they were reporting as spam and what the behavior was. And that's how we wound up in the robocall blocking space, which is where the the company and the app is now.
1: Very cool. No, that's that's quite fascinating because I I think – the robocalling, at least in my opinion, you can tell me if I'm right or wrong here, is only getting worse. It's not getting better, right? Like sure, you guys are blocking them now, but more and more people are getting these robocalls and they need apps like you mail so they stop getting them. Is that <laughs> is that an oversimplified version of what you guys are doing basically? <laughs>
2: No, I think that's right. And it actually brings up something else that we've done, which okay. is back in 2015, when we started blocking robocalls, we were really curious how many there were. Okay. So we started publishing an estimate based on extrapolating from our sizable user base. You know, what did our user base see in robocalls? What that means for the country as a whole. So if our user base is seeing X, the country as a whole is X times, you know, the percentage of the country that doesn't have the and so we, we looked at that and the numbers were pretty interesting because it was around a billion, you know, plus or minus back wow. in in 2015. Well, we have kept that estimate going. We really have worked very hard at it. And I think over the last six months in the U.S., it's up around 5.1, 5.2 billion robocalls a month.
3: Wow. So
2: your intuition that the problem has gotten worse is spot on. There's data backing you up that it's four to five times worse. And, you know that everybody's getting the robocalls now. It, if there's good news, it's kind of stabilized at that enormous number, but it isn't going down. <laughs> and sure. and my, take, my take on robocalls is it's going to be like email um, spam and, and viruses on computers, right? Okay. It's going to be solved by consumers changing their behavior, not clicking on everything, you know, an email, right? right? To not answering the phone all the time. Putting protective apps on your on your phone or your computer, like you run antivirus stuff now, um, you you know you can run spam tools if you're a business, right? You have Barracuda to block stuff.
0: Sure. You're going to be
2: doing the same thing with robocalls, and it's just another channel that the scammers and spammers are using to try to get to people, and it's not going
1: away anytime soon. No, I I 100 agree with you. So I want to dive a little bit deeper into some of the other features that Umail offers because you have a free plan and then you have paid plans. So do you want to talk about maybe let's start off with what people get for free and then let's work through the paid plans?
2: Sure. So the free email service is basically a robocall blocking app. Okay. But the way we do it is that we replace your mobile voicemail. So not only do we try to suppress the ring on your cell phone, but when the call then gets sent to voicemail, we can play the out of service greeting or if a voicemail message is left, we can detect if it's a a bad one and notify you this is a scam or a spam, sure. and so we replace your mobile voicemail so because we did that, we knew consumers would be like ooh i've got I've got voicemail from you know my iPhone or from AT&T on my Android or whatever, we decided we had to have a much better mobile voicemail. Well, fortunately, we've been working on that. So, you know, you get the cloud-based voicemail, you get personal greetings, uh, you get the ability to have a large inbox of messages. We're really good at identifying who they're from. So think of it as like a mobile voicemail on steroids. It's a great robocall blocker. That's that's what you get for free, and and we think you know everybody can like that because it's better than what they've got already on their phone. It's just switching how you get to your voicemail.
1: Sure, and it's easy to um, set up. Like I, I set it up in minutes. It, it's idea for for
2: most people. It's it's super easy, and then so then that was kind of the basic. Then we realized that a big portion of people using email, the people who care about the robocall blocking problem the most, yeah. are what what's called sole proprietors. It's the contractor, the real estate agent, uh, the lawyer, sure. the person running their business on their cell phone. And so they need help dealing with a high volume of calls and not having missed calls that come in be lost business, either because they're not answering the calls anymore because there's too many robocalls or because you know they're under the sink working on something when the call comes in. Right. So we built a service called Email Professional designed for those people. It's designed for people who get a lot of calls and messages, Uh, So, you know, it's transcribing the messages, it's got a huge inbox, but more importantly, it has a professionally recorded greeting that's personal. So, you know, hi, Kevin, Alex, Alex Felicia of email, can't come to the phone right now, but hey, your, your message is super important. You know, I'll get back to you right away. Like that, you can have a professionally recorded message to do that. That's personal. It automatically replies by text message. So you call me, you can get a text back that says, hey, make an appointment, you know, by clicking this link to go to my website. Um, and it has a bunch of other stuff that's really like a full blown PBX, but hidden. So press zero to connect to my assistant, or press one for support, press two for sales. All the stuff that someone who's trying to run a business off their cell phone um, needs. And so that's uh, in the US in, in US currency, it's you know ten dollars a month uh, if you buy an annual plan at one hundred twenty bucks, or it's twelve bucks a month if you pay monthly. So it's it's pretty reasonable in the scheme of things for for people who really rely on the phone to drive their business. Sure.
1: No, no, that makes sense. I I think that's very cool. Right. And and a nice, pretty, pretty inexpensive way of handling that. Right. Because obviously some of those phone systems get to be hundreds of dollars a month and you need a clunky desk phone and it's just kind of a nightmare. Right. At least in my experience with some of them.
2: That, that's exactly right. So it, if you summarize kind of what email's proposition for consumers is, it's, hey, we'll block all the robocalls for free for everybody forever. There's That that needs to be done. It, it just kind of rubbed us the wrong way to actually charge somebody to block these calls they don't want from coming in.
3: Yeah, but
2: then what we can really offer you a lot of help is we'll help you more efficiently deal with the phone side of your business. And that's where we feel comfortable uh, charging people because they're really getting a financial benefit by having email. So that's how we kind of thought about it and broke things down.
1: No, that makes uh total sense. So I- I'm curious though, you guys have been doing this a long time. How do you decide what features and what not to actually add into the app? Because you probably get some requests and really good requests, probably some little bit some harder challenging uh, requests, but how do you decide which features actually make it into the app?
2: Well, there's, there's
1: several things,
2: right? So, so we sort of have our North star being, we want to be the best in the world at blocking robocalls. Okay. And we, uh, that's in the free service. So starting with that, it does the feature we add make us better at blocking robocalls. That's, that's number one. Number two is we are replacing your mobile voicemail. So is this, you know, if we look at something and say, is this a feature, that's really important to voicemail users at scale and really makes us better than what the carriers have.
3: Right. And so there's
2: all sorts of ideas that come in, but you know, very few actually meet those thresholds. So that's, that's the free. And then for the professional users, we think about, I'm a professional, what do I need? And we get a lot of feedback from users. Sure. And users come up with great ideas. And, uh, you know, a lot of those eventually make it into the product and it's just a matter of prioritizing what do we think is going to affect the most people in the most positive way. And it's that's a pretty simple approach. And so there's, you know, obviously the big giant whiteboard, or in our case, we have whiteboard paint on the wall, so the big big feature wall that has stuff that we're thinking about doing and, you know, stuff moves around as we get more data and, when we have some cycles to build, we look at that wall and say, okay, what do we really want to do here? What what's, what's gonna have the biggest impact with some of these guidelines to help us make that decision?
1: No, that's that makes sense. So I'm curious, where do you guys take you mail? Because without giving away any like secrets or what you guys are working on, but where do you guys see the space kind of going? Because I think there's potentially a bunch of avenues that you guys could explore, right? And I I think your space is only going to potentially get a lot bigger.
2: So it, it's really interesting. On the robocall blocking side, a lot of people come to me and they say, hey, you know what, eventually carriers are going to block all the calls, and so why do you exist? right?" Okay. And, and I think, well, okay, maybe. They haven't done it so far, even though there's a lot of effort on it. But But our secret sauce, and the reason I think we're going to be around for a long time is one of the things we do to block calls is leverage the content we get from our consumers. So sure. we actually have, have a, a patented technology called voicemail fingerprinting. So okay. think of that as Shazam okay. for voicemail. Imagine a database of bad audio that's known to be, you know, parts of scams or known to be,
3: uh, you know, bank
2: frauds or, you know, known all that, all that stuff. And a new call comes in leaves a message. We can look at that entire database and really, really quickly hey, this number is misbehaving.
3: Right. Well, nobody
2: else has that data. I
0: right? think right. we're the
2: only ones who have that data from real users and real permission to use that data to to protect them. And that's extremely valuable because not only do we know, you know, not only can we know when a number is misbehaving, but we know what kind of scams are out there. We can alert other entities about these scams. We can do a whole lot to help fight the problem beyond what I think the carriers can do. I think the carriers can be really good at saying, hey, this number is illegal. I'm not going to let it through. More power to them. Sure. The minute they do that, the other scammers are going to use legal numbers. <laughs> and then yeah, you're going to need the content-based approach that we have to solve the problem. So I suspect, you know, on the robocall side, you know, we keep improving and we're going to be part of any long-term solution to the problem.
1: No, that that makes total sense. I, I It's interesting because... You're right, you're you're collecting so much data about the numbers calling other people and the fact that obviously as more people use your system, which you already have a lot, it only gets bigger and better, right? Where those carriers don't have that data and it would take them a long time to get it.
2: That, that's right. I, I think that's the challenge too is that the carriers have a lot of constraints on what they can do, and it takes a long time for them to do it. So to give you one example, there's a big push now to have something called Shaken and Stir implemented. Okay. What it really is is authenticated caller ID. The bad guys just make up phone numbers and make calls. In theory, if every carrier had authenticated caller ID, the bad guys couldn't just make up numbers anymore.
3: Right. And so
2: that would actually make it, You know, easier to block any number. Who Any bad guy who makes up a number just won't be able to get anywhere with it. And so that's something that's been worked on now for four or five years. To roll it out is going to take a couple more years for the major carriers and even longer for some of the other carriers. And it's hard, right? It's like fundamentally changing how calls go through the carrier network. It's a big deal. It's probably billions of dollars from some of the estimates I've read across carriers to do it. It's changing software in every switch. It's it's doing a lot, and I think that's the challenge. Is the carriers, can, you know, they'll get all that, and then they'll have this, you know, you can't spoof caller ID. You know, Apple will have like a green check mark when it's a, a real phone number, and then I just think, well, okay. So does email disappear then? And I try to think like, well, what are the bad guys going to do? And I think, hmm, the bad guys are going to start calling for real numbers. <laughs> They're just going to go get real numbers, make a lot of calls, and they get shut down and use another real number. Right. And so it, it makes it harder for the bad guys, but it's a speed bump versus being a wall. And I think email mail to a large extent is the wall where we can really protect people because we know exactly what's happening with that number right now. And we can get it out to all the handsets and, and we can and to, to folks. And so we can really contribute making sure these calls don't get to the end user, regardless of you know what everybody else is doing to try to have fewer of them.
1: No, that, that makes total sense. And and like I told you before we were recording, I, I try to at least play with every app that I have a uh, guest on the show. And some of them I continue to use well after the show and others kind of trickle away at, for a number of reasons. But I've been using email for what almost two months now and I really like it. Like I actually um canceled my voicemail with my carrier to actually start using you guys, partly because you add way more features, but I I, I like the the third it being third party and, and kind of all the features around that we've already talked about. We don't need to cover that again. But And especially being on – I'm an Android user, uh, so I think visual voicemail, that feature alone has been awful on on Android. It's better on iOS, but Android's been terrible for it since the beginning. And um, unless you're maybe a Project Fi user, you could argue, but most people aren't. So I I think – what you guys are solving just for Android, never mind iOS, I, I think is a huge deal just in the visual voicemail space.
2: You know, that, that's an interesting way to look at it because, you know, our first priority is the blocking of robocalls. But the mere fact that we have to do it through mobile voicemail is our, our technique
3: yeah. forced
2: us to really innovate in the mobile voicemail space to make sure that we're competitive and compelling over what people are starting with. Because we're a switching sale, right? Right. We need you to switch off your carrier voicemail to e-mail. Robocall blocking is part of the sale. But then how good our app actually is, is the other part. And so I'm glad to hear you say that. It it tells us our strategy is working well, at least least for one user.
1: (laughs) Well, you have lots of users, so it's clearly not just me. But I'm curious... You guys have a U comu- a Mail community. What exactly is it, and why did you guys create a community around U Mail?
3: Well,
2: originally the community was to see if people would upload greetings that other people would like, right? Mm-hmm. So I'm a band member, I, I put up a cool happy birthday song somebody else uploads that greeting to play to people who call them, you know, when it's their birthday, that, that sort of thing. Sure. That never really took off. We, okay. we have a decent number of people, maybe 50,000 people who've uploaded a greeting, but you know, in terms of the scale, you need to be really successful. It, it hasn't been that interesting.
3: Okay. The, the
2: other thing though with community has been we view our email users as a team that's helping us get better and better at blocking calls for everybody. So as people report spam when we we make a mistake and a call gets through or we make a mistake and block a number that was actually good you know as people supply us with that data that just makes us better at what we do so we view it as a group of people that are together are helping email really understand the phone network and block calls better and faster and ultimately i think email can supply that information to others to block calls and and really help the the whole phone system system as a whole. But that's why we view it as a community. It's a bunch of people working together to try to stop the robocall epidemic.
1: Yeah, no, that makes total sense. So I want to cover a couple other things that we might have quickly touched on earlier, but is the conference calls and and actually adding other phone numbers and and kind of vanity numbers. Do you want to cover those?
2: Yeah, sure. So so one feature we have in the free that we haven't talked about is we actually have free conference calling. And the way it works on email is pretty interesting. The way you get into the conference is you call the person's phone number, their cell phone number, and you press 8. So
3: right. if
2: you want to get into my conference room, you call my cell phone, press 8, boom, you're in. So we got rid of remembering any complicated number, any sure. access number, any pins, and so we put that together. It's it's actually getting a lot of usage. It's, sure, but it's been one of the things that we're, we we want to work on more before I think we really scale it up. Okay, and we you know in the in the paid version of the service we let we can let you record all the conference calls and a whole bunch of stuff around that. So I, it's one of those things where I think. We're innovating in the same way we kind of came up with visual voicemail as we were one of the first builders of that, the first builders of transcription and deploying. We think we're probably the first builders of a new type of conference calling. Um, But that's a pretty specialized thing, and so we haven't really, you know, focused on it. The other thing, though, is we realized that a lot of the people who were becoming paid users, not only wanted it on their cell phone, but they wanted more numbers. So they, let's say you're a landscape guy, you might want numbers in Orange County, LA, Ventura County sure. that are local to those areas, but have all the email features with it. So we essentially built that as part of our professional service under the notion that no professional should have only one number, right? You actually need multiple numbers to either present yourself differently in different areas or to have calls come in in different places. So they kind of sort themselves out. And so we we built those features again. Those are kind of I think evolving and getting better, and there's going to be a good email spin on them, but they're in there now, and we actually have lots of users of
1: them. No, very cool. Yeah, I, I think that makes total sense, right? Uh, I I just thought we should probably cover that as well. Um, you also have a email plus plan that's five dollars per month. Do you want to talk about? what's different between that and the free plan because it kind of sits between the professional plan and the free plan
2: yeah so that's great for bringing that up so the plus plan for us has been for people who kind of have volume but aren't sure they need to handle the calls in a sophisticated way okay so if you start getting a lot of calls you need a bigger inbox you you know you need uh we transcribe a decent number of messages for free, but if you start having huge volumes, you, you know, we, we charge you for it. And there's a set of features kind of around there. You need support. You need to be able to call somebody up and talk to them if you need help. That's the PLUS plan. So it's a stepping stone between free email and the professional plan. And we see that over time, the vast majority of people who sign up for PLUS do eventually sign up for professional, but it just, it's just a nice way to get them started on some of the more advanced features
1: no that that totally makes sense so i'm curious to dive a little bit deeper into without getting maybe too technical but how do you keep well or do you keep um, the same features across android and ios because i know android maybe actually developing for it can be a little bit more work in in certain cases but You have more freedom to do customizations on Android compared to iOS where you maybe developments a little bit easier, but sometimes you're locked into certain things that Apple sets. Have you found you've been able to replicate the same features across both platforms or or what's your thoughts around that?
2: I think it all depends on what you mean by the same. We're able to replicate the same ideas across platforms, but not necessarily the same behavior. So to give you a good example, on iPhone, the only way to block a call is to feed a block list. So in advance, you're adding to a list of numbers that when the call comes in, Apple will look at that list of numbers and say, oh, this new number coming in is on it. I'm going to block it. So that's how Apple works. The only way to block a number is to have it on that block list. Um, So that that prevents you from doing things like saying, hmm, I'd like to block all illegal numbers. Well, you can't put 2.8 billion illegal numbers on the block list. I'd like to block international numbers. Well, you can't put those on the block list. I'd like to have some logic that looks at the phone number and says, Hmm, there's a high probability right now, this instance, that this number is going to be bad because it's a sequence of calling we've seen or it's in an area code that's problematic when it calls this other area code. All that smart real-time processing isn't possible on the iPhone. So what you see is that on Android will be able to do more than on iPhone, because Android is not really restricted to just the block list concept. You can do a little bit of logic. You can call libraries to see if a phone number is legal or illegal. And so that means that we're actually better at blocking on Android than iPhone, simply because of the underlying limitations of the OS and what it lets apps do. So, you know, there's a whole bunch of that comes in all over the place, right? But sure. that's that's kind of the way we look at it is what's the concept? Well, it's block as many calls as possible, okay? How do you degrade on iPhone versus how do you degrade on Android? What can you do? And, and different consumers will get different experiences sure. depending on which, which version of our app they have. And we find when people say switch from Android to iPhone or iPhone to Android, they're like, ooh, this is behaving differently. And it's a little bit of an explanation to them about why.
1: Yeah, sure. And I yeah, I'm always curious to know um, that how how that plays out for certain people. Right. Because it can be very, very different. Right. But but I think a lot of people. Well, well, I'm curious. Do you get a lot of people that switch from from one to the other?
2: There's a decent amount. I mean, it's you know, the thing is, even if you're at five percent that are flipping platforms, when you start getting into the millions of users, that's a lot of people, right? Yeah, and yeah. Uh, so you see that. I, I think, you know, there's also a mindset like, um, you know, iOS users expect a certain kind of UI where Android users now expect material design. Sure. You know, if you go from material design to not material design, it's, it's difficult and you could, in theory, do material design on iPhone, but then all the iOS users look at that and go, ooh, what's this weird thing? It's kind of like my Gmail. It's, so it, it's, Interesting. Uh, it's a challenge for sure. Um, we don't focus on the people going from platform to platform. We try to optimize the experience by platform. Sure, um, makes sense. Know, by iOS. And we just do as much as we can within whatever constraints, you know, the big guys like Apple and Google are, are forcing us to live with.
1: No, that that makes a lot of sense. So I'm curious, though, you guys um, very much support the Media Excellence Awards. Why do you think those award shows are important to recognize what's happening in the industry these days?
2: I, I think for the same reason, the Grammys are important to music and the Oscars are important to, uh, to film, right? You, sure. There's a lot of apps out there and having peers and colleagues and judges look at a bunch of different apps and say, hey, we really like what's going on here. This is really innovative, or this is really spectacular. That's important, because as apps do that, other apps can see which ones are getting that kind of appeal and why, and decide, hey, what do we want to try to imitate that they did? What did they do right? And and so that's that's kind of like with music, right? You know, the Grammys honor people who've, you know, sold a lot of records or done something super interesting with music, then everybody can kind of focus on those people got the honor and what they take away from it so we have the same sort of feeling like every industry needs it and these Grammys or or Oscars
1: <laughs> no I, I agree I, I think that that makes a lot of sense and I've kind of been a media partner with them for the last couple years now and they've been I've had a ton of really great interviews come come through that and I've got to go the last couple of years and it, it's always cool to see what other people are doing even in other industries that are maybe completely unrelated because sometimes that can spark a new idea in what you're doing or get you recharged to, you know, maybe you're a little bit like you're feeling your passions down a little bit, right? Like, so I think just going to something that can kind of reinvigorate and see what other innovative things people are doing and getting recognized for, at least for me, I find it inspiring. So,
2: I agree, and you know oddly enough, the one thing I find really great about these awards uh, shows and awards, er, er, you know these different efforts of providing awards is going through the process of applying, okay because it's it's like writing your college application, right? It's like what's really cool about what I'm doing? How do I talk about what I'm doing in a way that sounds impressive? like, you know, if one if you're filling that form out for an award show, and you're like, mm, I'm not really that excited about what <laughs> my app is doing, I'm I'm BSing a little bit here. You know, I'm going to fix that. And so I found that that process really helped us, like being able to articulate what we do, articulate what we think we do that's innovative, articulate articulate where we're really really strong. And I I think just going through an application is great. Like you know, apply for Yale, you're going to learn a lot as you try to show how you meet Yale standards if you don't it's you know summer school for you
1: (laughs) yeah that's an interesting way of putting it right you're almost working on your sales pitch or at least your feature pitch right
2: exactly it's like what are the really differentiated things we're doing that aren't just good but they're fundamentally super cool right they're the things that are really impressive and the world should take note of
1: no I, I I think that's that's really good. But I'm curious, you've obviously been doing this a long time. What advice do you give to other startups and, and companies like yourself that were a startup are, are a real company now making real money with with huge user bases?
2: Well, you know, the big advice I have for people is, don't give up and be willing to change. If you look okay. at email, you know, we really pushed hard on carriers. We didn't just pivot after six months. We pushed on it for two years and then we realized, you know what? Carriers fundamentally move slowly. Carriers yeah. fundamentally don't want to pay for stuff. If we're, we're not an exception to those rules. It's not going to work. So now we've got to pivot. And the question is, right. where do you pivot to? In our case, hey, let's go after consumers directly because we're not even trying and they're showing up.
3: Right. Okay,
2: so then you do that for a while and then you go, you know, voicemail is a bit of a tough sell. We're definitely better and there's an audience of sole proprietors, but, you know, it's a little bit hard to get to them to scale. And, you know, we're thinking about that and, you know, what are our users really, really loving about our product? And, you know, as, as we talked about, we kind of discovered is that we they could block robocalls with it as, as a big, important feature for a lot of people. So then it's like okay let's pivot and we're a consumer app that blocks robocalls. That's now we're going to go do that. So you can't be afraid to move off your original ideas and pivot into stuff that's very scary when you do the pivot. But as sure. we as the more we we got better at blocking robocalls, the faster we grew. The more people were interested in us, and that's how we actually survived and thrived and you know become the company we are. And so for entrepreneurs, it's you know the hardest thing to do is letting go of whatever the, the idea or strategy or plan or goal you is that you had when you started and saying, you know what, there's actually something better here. And that's, that's, that's the hardest part. And I'd say for us, sometimes we took a little too long to do it, but we did, and we're here and we're growing. So it's all good.
1: <laughs> no, that that's actually really good advice. And I think so many people are scared to pivot sometimes because they feel like it's a failure, but, I don't know why failure needs to be or have such a negative context.
2: Well, I, I don't think failure is necessarily bad if, and if you learn from it and, sure. and can move on to do something successful. I think that the toughest thing for an entrepreneur is there's two extremes, right? Uh-huh. One is you just keep banging your head and keep going. It's, I, just, I know I'm going to get there. I know I'm going to get there. Keep doing the same thing, tweaking it at the margins, because then you're like, my idea was great. I'm going to get there. That's one extreme. The other extreme is what we call the YouTube entrepreneur, which uh-huh. is flipping through different strategies like they flip through videos on. On YouTube, uh, and you know, then you're pivoting every five minutes. That's chaotic too, and sure, so it's hard to figure sure. out where you fit on that continuum. And I think for us is it's you've got to look at the results. Like for us, you know, we were not able to scale a carrier business, and you know, it takes time. Sometimes it takes like eighteen months to decide is am I succeeding or failing because you have all right. these. Oh, I might be getting a deal, or it's, it looks like it's moving forward, or they're about to you know launch the product or whatever, and. You know, but once you see the results, you have to look at them and say, "You know what? We thought we'd be here. We're not. Um, there doesn't appear to be a quick fix that way. Let's go explore explore a really meaningful pivot and see if there's somewhere else we can go." And that's just—it's just really hard because there's not a book that tells you how to do it. You're somewhere in a trade-off space, trying to figure out where you know where do I sit.
1: No, I yeah, no, I I think that's that's really good advice, and I think a lot of that's a little bit of trial and error in itself, right? Figuring out when you need to pivot, when you need to keep going. And there's not really an, a one answer that's going to work for everybody, right? It's it's so hard and you need to figure it out.
2: Exactly. You know, I mean, a lot of people figure, oh, we should be Facebook and just grow, you know, immediately and really big. But, you know, there's very few companies like that, which is why they're worth hundreds of billions of dollars. You know, the Fair odds enough. are your company's going to have to tweak and move around and try different things and you're not going to be right the first time and you're not going to grow explosively right away. And you have to live with that and figure out, okay, what do I do to get the most value out of what I'm, what I'm doing and what I'm building?
1: No, that makes total sense. But Alex, we're kind of coming to the end of the show. So how about we close with mentioning where people can get more information about yourself, email and any other links you want to mention? Uh,
2: sure. So, umail.com is a website that um, we you know, have like other companies. Not only can people get their online voicemail there, but they can learn all about the, the company, the people, the features. If you want to just download the app, go to uh, the App Store or uh, Google Play, search for email, Y-O-U-mail, and we'll pop up and you can look at the reviews and the ratings and decide if you want to try us out. We'd encourage you to do so. We think we'll help reduce your robocalls rather dramatically uh, if you run us for a little bit.
1: Very cool. Well, I really appreciate you taking the time into your day to be on the show, and I look forward to keeping in touch with you and have a good rest of your day.
2: Yeah, thank you very much. I- I've really enjoyed our conversation.
1: Thank you. Okay, bye.
0: Bye. Thanks for listening. Please visit our website at buildingthefutureshow.com to join the free community. Sign up for our newsletter or to sponsor the show. The music is done by Electric Mantra. You can check him out at ElectricMantra.com and keep building the future.